Hello everyone and welcome back to another Coffee Talk podcast episode. Today we're going to be talking about self-sabotage, how to get out of our own way, and most specifically all of this is actually coming as somewhat of a book review for The Mountain Is You by Brianna Weist. So over here on the Co's community, the Co's memberships, we actually just finished this book in our book club. And I have so many notes that I took from reading this book that I figured it would make a great conversation to crack open and do kind of like a book review, but also use it as a topic starter for how to get out of your own way, how to stop self-sabotaging and so much more. So I highly recommend picking up this book. Something that really shocked me about this book in reading it was how much I found I identified with areas that I didn't realize I was self-sabotaging. So you might instantly think, okay, like I self-sabotage with finances or I self-sabotage in relationships or I self-sabotage in my career. But you can also feel like you're self-sabotaging on a very generic plane. It seems like it's almost like an all-encompassing feeling at times that I'm maybe not supporting myself the best. And that was the feeling I had going into this book. There wasn't a specific area, or at least I thought, because I feel like I've done a lot of work and I've gotten out of my own way in ways that I used to self-sabotage. But holy crow, was I shocked to find out that there was so much I resonated with in this book. Deep-seated beliefs that I didn't realize were still holding me back and where they came from. So I hope you've got a nice beverage for today's chat. I'm drinking a mixture of Blueberry mint, apple, cranberry juice mixed with a little bit of water. Very refreshing. Definitely pick up this book if you like anything that you hear today because all of my knowledge is coming from things that I literally made notes of while reading this book. One. And two, in terms of my rating for the book, I would give it like a four out of five cups. And by that I mean cups of coffee. It's condensed information. There's not a whole lot of fluff. There's a little bit of repetition, hence the four out of five. But I'm giving it such a high remark of a four out of five because she gets straight to the point. She backs herself up with studies, with well-researched knowledge. It also wasn't one of those toxic positivity self-development books, which I think is really important as well. We self-sabotage usually because what we want or what we're going for or what we're doing is out of alignment with our actual truest, deepest desires. There was a couple examples of this given in the book. So for instance, you might be sabotaging your professional success because what you're doing professionally is actually out of alignment with what you truly wish to be doing deep down inside. So you might self-sabotage in your career because you actually don't wanna move up in that career. You really wanna be doing something else. Another example would be that you might self-sabotage in relationships because you actually wanna spend more time on your own figuring out who you are, but you're afraid to be alone, so you keep jumping into relationships and then self-sabotaging them. One that I <laughs> identified with a lot, and I've worked on this in therapy, so I definitely caught it as soon as she said it was, self-sabotaging your healing journey because you're psychoanalyzing everything you're feeling to avoid actually experiencing that feeling. That is something that I definitely was called out for very politely by my therapist a few times over the years. So I'm not alone in that. I definitely tend to psychoanalyze things almost to a point where I think if I can logically figure out why I'm doing something or why I'm feeling some type of way, then I can fix it without actually having to feel it. The only way out is through. The only way out is by actually allowing yourself to feel the things you're feeling, experiencing the things that you're experiencing. In order to get through to the other side, yes, logically you can still figure out why you might be feeling that way or psychoanalyze it down to the very nitty core, 
but you still have to go through it. It's like looking at a tunnel and being like, okay, why is this tunnel here? How was it built? You can figure all of that out, but you still gotta walk through the tunnel to get to the other side. Basically, if you have a deep rooted wish for something, that you might not even know. Maybe it's still subconscious. Maybe you're not even allowing yourself to be honest with yourself about what it is you truly want. Then a lot of the times you will consciously or subconsciously self-sabotage in order to keep yourself from going after things that you actually know aren't right for you. We self-sabotage very intelligently even when it puts us through pain, even when it causes discomfort, even when it pushes us into areas where we feel like we're failing per se. And I'm putting quotes around failing because it's like, you're not really failing. You're actually just trying to redirect yourself or intelligently your subconscious is trying to redirect yourself to what you might not even be willing to admit you want for yourself or think you're even willing to have or able to have or worthy of having which we will also get to. So if you can think of areas that you're self-sabotaging, and we're gonna go through a list in this chat today, so don't worry if you have that generic feeling as well of like, okay, well, I don't know exactly where I'm doing that, but I definitely resonate with that feeling. If you can think of areas of your life that you're self-sabotaging, then it would be worth pausing and writing them down, taking a moment to think like, is there something else I actually really want here? And is there a reason why I'm resisting what I am saying I'm set out to do? The other reason why we may self-sabotage is because our inner narrative is actually not serving us. So this is totally different than your inner subconscious desires are different than what you're going for. This literally means that your perception of yourself is actually less than what it should be. You think low of yourself, you think you're not worthy, you think you're undeserving. And so you self-sabotage in order to keep yourself in a state of comfort. We've done a coffee talk before and I'll put it up on the screen somewhere about a bliss point or like your happiness limit. Like, can we ever actually truly be happier? And there's a lot of science and research behind it now that shows that we actually tend to sit at a base point happiness, a base point comfort zone is a better way to put it because sometimes it might not even be a state of happiness. What that means is that no matter how much you acquire on the outside, no matter how much external things validate you, you will eventually come back to your base norm feeling. Now, can you fluctuate in that feeling? Yes, if you wanna go deep into that chat, definitely go to that coffee talk next. But this is important to know because if your baseline happiness, if your baseline comfort zone is something you're unaware of, then you might not realize that you self-sabotage when you're happy to bring yourself back into the comfort of what you already know. So you need to ask yourself, is your narrative, is your perception about yourself and the world and your life something that is serving you? And don't blame yourself if it's not, because a lot of the times, actually most of the time, our inner narrative is a collection of belief systems, of experiences, and of things that we were told from a very, very young age all the way to however old you are right now. This is from family, from your parents, from your peers, and even from yourself. If you ever had a mistake or messed something up when you were younger and internalized it and thought, oh my gosh, I'm such an idiot and then you continued to hit that home every time you made a mistake, that's years of calling yourself an idiot that you're now gonna try and unwire. It takes hard work, but it's worth it because when you work on your inner narrative now, the faster you get working on it, the faster that you start feeling and believing better about yourself, better about your life, better about the world, the better off you're gonna be. So if you know the areas at which you're self-sabotaging, 
go back to your earliest conception or idea about this thing. For an example, if you're self-sabotaging with your finances, what were the earliest things you were ever told about people with money? If you are self-sabotaging with love, what was the earliest experiences you had in your loving, safe attachment relationships? So your family, your parents, so on and so forth. If you're self-sabotaging with your success, go back to your earliest memories of ever succeeding at something and what were the reactions of other people? How did it make you feel? And you can start to see where your inner narrative may have started to form that, oh, when I do something good, when I'm successful at something, other people bully me, other people make me feel like crap about it, or other people don't like it. So instead, it's actually safer for me not to be successful because then people will still like me. Now, you might not realize that even if you're actively saying, I wish to have wealth, I wish to feel financially stable, what you actually internally deeply believe, what your narrative says is that people who are financially stable or even more have a little bit of excess, have a little bit more comfort than that, are greedy, are bad people. And so thus your inner narrative is out of alignment with what you're saying you want. So you're gonna self-sabotage and you're gonna spend silly and you're not gonna learn about finances and you're not gonna really try and make more. Or if you do, you're gonna self-sabotage along the way because your inner narrative is telling you something totally different. If your earliest memories or your earliest experiences of love, of directly like your parents' relationship with each other, or perhaps your relationship or your safety attachment to either parent, you can look at that as a direct reflection to the type of relationships you might be going for in life. So you might say, I wanna settle down, I wanna find a life partner, I wanna just be happy and in love, but you keep attracting partners that either don't value you, don't like aren't secure aren't people that really want to be in a loving relationship that you want to be in that you're looking for you might attract partners that leave you on your toes that are there and then they're not they're hot and then they're cold you might attract partners that fight with you a lot if you had parents that fought a lot so i wrote down my example this was an aha moment this was the big aha moment that i had in reading this book and i feel really like vulnerable talking about it because I've, I don't know how it can be perceived on the other end, but I, all I can tell you is how I've felt about this one general area of my life. So what she wrote about in this book is that success actually doesn't make you happy and it doesn't make you liked, and it's actually the opposite. Success usually exposes people to jealousy and scrutiny. Successful people are usually picked apart by others who are intending to humanize them in some way to feel less threatened by them. Instead of being successful, maybe what you really just want is to be loved and accepted and seen, yet the ambition for success directly threatens that. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love 
to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings. But I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. can look back on the last few years of my career and something I've really struggled with is feeling like I self-sabotaged my career, like I self-sabotaged my success. And maybe perhaps on the outside looking in, it doesn't seem that way at all. Although in the last few years, I have openly talked about how I've struggled with and had to really come to terms with going backwards in terms of growth, (laughs) in terms of social media. Like I've literally lost subscribers. I've lost followers. I've lost a following over the last few years. And that really opened my eyes. And I tried so hard at the very beginning to do and morph my way into what I thought people would still want from me to get them to stay, to get them to safely attach, to feel like I could safely attach and enjoy my job. It made it harder, it made it worse. And with every scrutinizing comment I ever read, with every person that judged me, I would try to fix their opinion of me. I led myself into social media, I led myself into YouTube, I led myself into this whole platform that I've created, all my platforms that I've created because I didn't feel seen, I didn't feel accepted, and I didn't really feel loved growing up. Like, I got bullied really hard in high school, it was really tough, like, I felt so crappy about myself in high school. I felt like everybody hated me, like the popular kids hated me. And I would just alienate myself and literally make YouTube videos. I had friends, but some friends that weren't the greatest friends that would treat me one way, but then actually be completely different behind my back. And that really caused a lot of trust issues. And then I had my core family and my parents and just feeling like invisible at times and feeling so unseen. So I thought, or I had created a narrative in my mind that if I was successful, people would finally respect me, people would finally see me, and more than anything, people would finally like me. Like, like me enough to want to just be my friend. That's all I would want. And thus, when I started to actually gain success on the internet, it actually did come as a double-edged sword. People at first, like at the very beginning, would say like, wow, what you're doing is so cool. I'm sorry I was ever so rude to you in high school. And then it kind of surpassed that and it got to a point where it turned on its head and I started getting a lot of really like mean comments. And I feel weird even saying it because I, I, I like, I grew up with a narcissist, so I feel like I sometimes struggle with trying to say anything that could be even remotely taken as narcissistic. 
but I would get this sense of like I was threatening people the more I tried to do. The more I went for, the more I succeeded, the more threatened people felt by me. And this goes into dating. I mean, I dated great guys, like guys that I thought were sure of themselves and confident, but I actually made them feel threatened. I made them feel threatened because I either was making more money than them or I would try and like split the bill because that's just how I was taught to be growing up, which is a chat we can have in another time because I do feel like there are some, it's such a, we live in a weird time where it's like, do you not try and split the bill because of, you know, guys and, and wanting to like make a man feel manly? Or are we at a time in society where you do ask to split the bill so that you let somebody know that you're down to be 50-50 equals? Like, regardless, this is all to say that like I dated people who, in my eyes, I thought were so confident and so sure of themselves, but were actually deeply threatened by my job or by what I would do. And so I started to go backwards. I started to literally self-sabotage my own success. I would not talk about the things I was doing. I would not promote myself. I still struggle to promote myself. Like. I would not ever get really happy or throw any kind of celebrations for any giant milestones I would ever really hit. I would try to play it small. I would try and keep it small in order to feel like I would make other people around me more comfortable. The more successful I am, it's actually the more unliked I am. And my original goal was to ever just be seen and be liked. It made me really have an aha moment in the ways that I self-sabotage in my own career and my own success and my own job. So my heart is beating a little faster right now. I'm gonna take a sip. Like definitely thought I had fully healed that, but it wasn't until I read this book that I realized that there was still some, some shit there. Like, so it's all still very self-centered thoughts to think, which is another point that is made in this book, but we're all thinking of ourselves all of the time, which goes to show you that all of our self-sabotaging behaviors come from our perception of ourselves. So working on your inner narrative is so important, but also the narrative you have about specific identities or archetypes in life. Like what is your inner narrative saying about successful people? What is your inner narrative saying about people who are in love? Notice your judgments on people that are happy. Like if you ever catch yourself judging and you have to be really honest with yourself because it's judging out of jealousy when you see somebody doing something amazing and you try and find a way to humanize them to bring them down a couple levels in your own mind usually it's actually because they're doing something that you identify with that you would really want for yourself and judging that person or speaking ill of that person or trying to bring them down even if you're not doing it to their faces although on the internet people will straight up try and talk you down or make you feel like an idiot or embarrass you it's usually because they have something you want and it's okay to want that thing. And when you try to bring it down a level, you're actually bringing yourself out of alignment with that thing. So if you can be really honest about what you judge in other people, specifically out of jealousy, you actually can find one, what your inner narrative says about people that have those things or the people that are happy, people in love, people who are successful, people who are doing things on the internet or put themselves out there on the internet, whatever, insert anything here, people with money. And then you can say, hey, I wanna shift that narrative. I wanna work on that narrative so that I actually feel excited about people that are doing that, which puts me in alignment with being one of the people that do that. Anyway, so we tend to habitualize certain things in our life. And when they become things that propel us forward, we call them healthy habits. We call them skills. 
But when they're things that hold us back, we call them self-sabotage, but they're really the same thing. They're just something or an action, a thought, whatever it is that we've habitualized. So think about your morning routine, for instance. Is your morning routine full of healthy habits or skills that propel you forward? Or does your morning routine hold you back? Either way, I mean, it's your own judgment and your own sense of inner knowing of which one it is, but either way, it's still a morning routine. It's still just something that you've habitualized. The reason why this is important to know is because the things that are sabotaging you, the things that hold you back, again, come back to that thought that these are intelligent things that are actually fulfilling a deep subconscious need. Now our deep subconscious needs aren't always things that are actually going to help us propel forward or grow in life. If we have unhealed trauma, if we have unhealed wounds internally, then our deep subconscious need might just be to stay comfortable. We don't want to be uncomfortable. So we habitualize things that keep us comfortable, even if in the long term they make us feel worse. If in the short term they make us feel better and comfortable, then, then we're, we're fulfilling our need. We're actually intelligently doing exactly what we feel is keeping us safe. It might mean that we're trying to avoid feeling a certain emotion or sensation. It might be an unfulfilled need of, like let's say if you find yourself eating unhealthily all the time, it might actually be that what you really need is nourishment, but you're doing too much. You're not, you're not giving yourself enough nourishment in other areas of your life. So you're actually fulfilling a deep subconscious need for nourishment by overindulging in food because you're not indulging in other areas of nourishment for yourself. Or you may have a neglected desire. Maybe you haven't had fun in so long that your self-sabotaging behaviors are actually like scrolling on your phone or whatever, which doesn't even really feel all that fun. It's a little bit more fun than going to the gym and doing that workout, right? And so you have this deep neglected desire for fun that you keep neglecting. And so your behaviors are actually fulfilling that deeply neglected desire, even if it's only short term and not actually long term. And we like to think more long term because, you know, in the long term, when we're choosing long term gratification versus short term gratification, we're actually setting ourselves up to do better longer. And here's a really tricky thing too. You can't get rid of your self-sabotaging habits. You're just gonna replace them with other self-sabotaging habits unless you actually get to the root of the problem. So you have to know what it is, what that deep subconscious desire is, what that deep subconscious avoided emotion is, or what that deep subconscious need is in order to actually stop self-sabotaging. Otherwise, if you have a deep subconscious neglected desire for fun or relaxation that you're fixing right now with just aimlessly scrolling on your phone, you can do a no phone challenge, but you're gonna find yourself self-sabotaging in another way. You're gonna find yourself filling it instead with TV and still not actually feeling much better. So you need to actually get to the root of what it is that's going on subconsciously, which you can do with the help of a therapist or some deep journaling, whatever you feel is gonna best support you on that journey. Once you get to what it is, that's where you actually stop self-sabotaging. This quote was something that I thought was something worth highlighting. So I'm just gonna read it verbatim to you. We rarely self-sabotage to hurt ourselves. It's really actually a way to protect ourselves. So if you were to make a list of your self-sabotaging behaviors, ask yourself, what does this behavior give me? How is this behavior protecting me? And a lot of the times it's going to be, this gives me comfort. This allows me to take a break from doing hard things. This keeps me from having to face a certain fear or face a certain emotion. 
That's really what it's gonna boil down to when you get to the bare bones. And knowing that is power. So last but not least, I took a little list of the ways that we might be self-sabotaging and what your subconscious might be saying to you from the book. Now, I'm not actually gonna list all of them from the book because I feel like if you're liking anything you're hearing today, then definitely go pick up the book. But I thought that this might be helpful to tie up our chat today in case you're looking for specific examples of self-sabotage that we haven't already spoke of, although some of these we might have already said. So one might be going back to bad relationships. If this is something that you're doing in your life, your subconscious might be asking you or telling you to go back to your childhood relationships and analyze what you first learned about attachment. If you have a self-sabotaging behavior of attracting people who aren't really truly committing to you, then you might actually deeply believe in your subconscious that you are unworthy of committing to. So you need to work on your self-love, your self-worth. If you are feeling unhappy in your life when nothing is really actually wrong, and it's a consistent thing, like we can go through this periodically, but I'm talking like days on days, weeks on weeks, months on months on end, nothing's really wrong, but you just feel unhappy. Your subconscious might be looking for external things to make you feel better. You might need to work on your internal state of bliss, your internal state of peace, your internal values in order to stop relying on external things to make you feel better. If you are possibly self-sabotaging by pushing other people away, you might actually want love and want safe attachment so much that it's such a threat to be rejected that by pushing other people away, you're rejecting other people first, never putting yourself in a vulnerable position to really love and attach safely to somebody who might walk away. If you're worrying about everything all of the time, then you might think that if you think of everything you could possibly worry about, you're keeping yourself safe because you've thought of everything. But what you're actually doing is running yourself on a hamster wheel and constantly keeping yourself in a state of worry, which is stealing your bliss and your time from the present moment. So you might need to get down into your subconscious and ask like, Am I able to feel safe in the unknown? If you are eating poorly when you don't want to, you're being too extreme. You're pushing yourself too hard in other areas and so you're looking to re-nourish yourself through food. If you are not doing the work that you know you need to, you might not actually be clear about what you really want. If you're overworking, then you might think that you need to prove your worth somehow, subconsciously. If you care too much about what other people think, you might actually not be as happy or as content as you think you are. And instead your version of happiness and contentment only comes from the external validation of other people validating your happiness and your contentment. So it might be time to really ask yourself like, what does happiness mean to you? And focusing on actually just being happy for yourself and not for what you think other people are gonna say is happiness. If you're dwelling on past relationships, then that past relationship might have affected you way more than you ever gave it credit or gave it time or gave it healing room for processing. So it's worth going back and looking at that relationship and seeing where the wound is, not to try and go back to that relationship, but just to give yourself the real time you need to heal. If you're spending too much money, you might be trying to feel more secure by buying validation in external things or temporary highs. If you're choosing people who are competitive to be in your life, you might be wanting to feel connected to people by competing with people. So stop choosing friends that make you feel like life is a competition. Start choosing friends that make you feel like your success is their success and vice versa. It's not a competition. There's a piece of pie for everybody. If you're having self-defeating thoughts, listen to me loud and clear. Being mean to yourself first 
isn't going to make when other people are mean to you hurt any less. This is kind of like the worrying in order to think that if you think of everything, you'll be safe. If you're mean to yourself and think of all the bad things about yourself before anybody else can point them out, it's not gonna make you safe. It's not gonna make when somebody else points out something bad about you or what they perceive to be bad about you hurt any less. You are worthy. Like let yourself subconsciously know that, start working on that narrative, stop picking out all of your flaws and picking them apart to pieces. If you are not promoting your hard work or art, you might feel like you're not actually creating your best work, something to potentially look at, or you might feel as though by promoting your work or art, you're gonna make yourself a threat to other people then go back to caring too much about what other people think. And if you're mindlessly scrolling too much, this might be a way to numb yourself to avoid the discomforts of other things that you should be doing. That's just a shorter list of a longer list from the book of ways that you might be self-sabotaging and what your subconscious might actually be looking for and something to chew on or to sip on, if you will, as we bring our conversation today to a close. Now I've done another coffee talk before on how to stop self-sabotaging before I read this book. So I'll leave that up on the screen as well if it's something you wanna to jump to and keep going into this. But this book definitely was eye-opening. I highly recommend it because there's so much more areas or branches in the book that she goes off into that aren't necessarily fully focused on self-sabotage but are a branch of it. If you feel comfortable sharing a way that you feel you might be self-sabotaging them, please leave it in the comment section down below or perhaps you can find somebody that's struggling with some self-sabotage and give a little piece of love or advice in the comment section down below. Also, have you read this book? Do you have any other book recommendations? Do you like these Coffee Talk book brew reviews? <laughs> Let me know down below in the comment section or by thumbsing up this YouTube video if you want more like it. And without further ado, I'm gonna close down our first Coffee Talk in the new Coffee Talk station. I didn't even make note of it. I was trying to just like jump in as if this was totally normal. But this is our new coffee talk spot, which I feel like is a lot more like we're actually sitting down and having a beverage. A little less like you're hanging out in my bedroom. So it kind of makes more sense, you know? Love you all the way to Jupiter and back again. And I will see all of you guys or talk to all of you guys in our next coffee talk chat. Bye.